Thanks so much for tuning in to the Mooney Ponds Baptist Church Podcast. Here we upload our weekly teachings that happen every Sunday at our 10 a.m. service. If we can help you in any way, feel free to reach out to us and check out our website at mpbc.org.au. Good morning, everyone. I struggled with this reading today because I wondered what sort of voice would God really use? So I'll do my best. It's from Exodus chapter 19, verses 1 to 11. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai and they set out from Rephidim. They entered the desert of Sinai and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God. And the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles. I'm sorry, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be, sorry, for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together. We will do everything the Lord has said. So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord said to Moses, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day because on that day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. Thank you. Thanks, Terry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have been at work in the world, that you didn't just create it like a clockmaker does and just set it ticking and then just leave it, that you have been interactive, engaged. The psalmist describes you as like a mother hen hovering over her chicks. Well, we, get that, we want to get that picture of you in our lives, that you are constantly aware of us. Help us today to be aware of your care and your concern and the protection that you want to give us. Well, we know there are people in our community who are sick this week. We pray that you'd heal them. We pray that you would meet their needs. We know that there are people who are down, 
perhaps depressed. We pray, Lord, that you would help them to feel encouraged, help them to get support that they need, help us to be the support for them. Lord, we know there are people around the world who are suffering through hunger, through lack of hope, because of war, because of injustice, because of hatred and racism. We pray, Lord, for your justice to come. We pray that you'd help us to be your people in the midst of these situations, that we might continue to have hope. We might continue to strive and seek for peace. Help us to be not just those people who think about those things in distant lands, but help us to be those people in in the neighbourhoods in which we live and in the families in which we are part of. We pray, Lord, for your strength. We ask for your power and for your fullness of your Holy Spirit in our lives, that we might be your people at this time in the context in which you have us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for the reading, Terry. That was great. Great story, the book of Exodus. If you've never read that story about God taking people from slavery in Egypt, delivering them through those mighty signs and then helping them through 40 years, really, because they were quite disobedient, uh, to get to a a place where he gave them a, a place to live then uh, I encourage you to read it. It's a really easy story to read and you'll be encouraged. So uh, getting a good deal today is no easy thing, is it? Whether you're looking to get a new mobile phone plan or uh, cheaper electricity, broadband internet, uh, you know, or a gym membership, what you need to do is you need to read the fine print. Someone said that on our mentee this morning already. Because you need to read all, the, all of the, the literature there to find out what offer or package is going to give you the most benefits for the least amount of money. Some of you are very discerning. I can see that already. Personally, I want the most benefits at the lowest price with the least commitment. And so therefore I weigh up my options when I look at those plans. Now recently Wendy and I joined a gym. Now looking at me you might think, well why why does he need a gym? Look at him, you know. (laughs) That's a joke by the way. Uh, Well we've just... um, We've just been to Wilson's Promontory and we did a hike and uh, it was a great hike. We did really well, but we came back with a few aches and pains. And we want to do a big hike next year, so we want to do some strengthening of our bodies. So we've, uh, we decided we would join a gym. And so what I discovered, though, as we looked at gym membership, is that there's all sorts of plans. And there are all sorts of plans with different prices and different benefits that depend on how much a person is willing to commit themselves The advertised price looked very cheap, $9.99 per week, 
with 50% off for the first eight weeks. That sounds like a good deal, doesn't it? But then you've got to read the fine print. To get that deal, you have to commit yourself, one, to going only to your local gym, which is not a problem, but then you have to sign up for an 18-month contract. With a 12-month contract, the weekly price goes up to $12.99. And then for Flexi membership, which is no contract at all, the price is $14.99 a month. Now, I don't like the idea of signing up for a contract just in case I find a better deal than that following week. Or what happens if I, uh, you know, after two months, I realise, you know, hey, I'm buff enough and uh, I don't need to do any more. Hey, who said that? <laughs> yeah. I, uh, but I also want the maximum benefits for the least cost. Life is full of difficult situations, isn't it? Difficult choices. And I'm sure that many of you can relate to this conundrum. Today, a mantra, I think, of our time is, let's keep it casual. And another mantra is, or another idea that we have is, no fixed contract. It's not that we want less in life, though. We actually want more in life, but we want it without any commitment. And this includes gym membership. It includes mobile phone plans. It includes romantic relationships. And it even includes our relationship with God. As many of us are reluctant to commit ourselves in case something better comes along or in case we just get tired of the thing we've signed up for. And so companies know this. This is why they offer you know, these sorts of deals, uh, lower prices, uh, more benefits and incentives for longer contract. No one who is business savvy is actually going to give you the same benefits for casual membership as they do for an 18-month contract. Otherwise, guess what? We'd all be, signing, we'd all be not signing anything. We'd just be doing everything casually. And so when it comes to God, many people are also happy to have a, a casual relationship with God. We want all the benefits and as little commitment as we can get away with. We want him on speed dial for help and we're happy to have him as our saviour but we don't want to be too committed in case it costs us too much personally. I also like the idea of casual when it comes to God and I'm sure that many of you do as well. It's a sort of superhero version of God or a genie version of God who comes to my help when I'm in trouble and who meets my immediate needs and then goes back to his superhero home or into the genie bottle when until the next time that I need him, until the next time that I'm in a fix. Now we're in the middle of a series called, and we started it last week, and it's titled, What Brings You Here? And it's a question that the Israelites are asking of God. We're looking at the occasions in the book of Exodus in which God comes down to his people unannounced and they are wondering, why has he come? 
And so last week we looked at God coming down to rescue the children of Israel from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. And so rescue is a really big theme in the Bible. It's one of the main roles that God has. And it's the reason that God came down, as we heard last week in Exodus 3, to liberate those Israelites from their slavery, from 400 years of slavery in Egypt. We also looked at God coming down in Jesus at Christmas time. And we saw that, that he did this for a reason as well, to rescue people from their sin and shame. And so rescue is, a, is, a, is one of the dominant ideas that Christians have about God and what God has done for us in Jesus. And, and we, we like to think of God as our rescuer, which he is. But rescue is not the only thing that God does. And so just to tag God with the label rescuer is too limited because what he's done and what he offers you is much, much more. We take our desire for casual relationships and our fear of contracts into our relationship with God, which then often means that we settle for, for a low-level relationship with him and a low-level relationship with minimum benefits. And so the Israelites related to God like this. When they were delivered from slavery in Egypt, they wondered why God had now come down a second time uh, in order, and to visit them at Mount Sinai. So they've moved out of Egypt, they've gone to camp at Mount Sinai, and God has come down to them again. Now we know the story of, of, uh, of the, the Exodus in many ways, if not from reading in the Bible, from seeing the film. And so in that, God uses uh, 10 really big signs, massive signs to convince Pharaoh to let the Israelites go free. And so what a relief it would have been for the Israelites. They would have thought once they got through the Red Sea and they were camped at Mount Sinai, they would have said, oh, we're free. Ha <laughs> ha, we're free. Thanks, God, for rescuing us. Big shout out to God. Thanks, God, for rescuing us. Hey, God, thanks for coming. We got it from here, though, I think. Yeah. I guess you'll be going off now to rescue some other people who need your help. Cheers. Thanks for coming. But then what happens? Instead of leaving, God comes again and he lingers. Oh, lingering. That's a bit uncomfortable, isn't it? What's he lingering for? Why has he come again? What does God really want in coming down again? Have you ever asked that question yourself? What does God want with you? Why does God keep nudging me? Why does he keep revealing himself to me? It's a really good question that I'm hoping that we're going to get to the bottom of today. Let's read Exodus 3, uh, 19, 3 to 6 again. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what, God, what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. 
Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. It appears that God has come a second time because he doesn't just want to be a rescuer of Israel. He doesn't want to just be in that sort of rescuer relationship. He doesn't want to be just a genie God or a superhero type God who we've got on speed dial and who we call in moments of crisis and then who departs from our lives or rather we depart from him when the crisis ends. In Exodus 9.4, God says, You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now that's the rescuer part. But now he says, I don't just want a casual relationship with you, not even a 12-month contract with you or an 18-month contract relationship with you. I want a permanent, ongoing, intimate relationship with you because that is how you will flourish. And then God, then God goes on and outlines all the benefits that the Israelites will get from being in a, in a formal, long-term, binding, committed relationship with him. He says that they would be a treasured possession, a royal priesthood, a royal priestly family, a people who are being transformed by him into his likeness, whom he would bless, care for and nurture. And so you see, God and Israel, they've been out on their first date. That was what God did in getting them out of Egypt. That was the first date. It was great. It was something to be remembered. But the date was meant to be just the first step to something much bigger, much more permanent, much more substantial. Now, I know a lot of you have been on first dates. Now, imagine, no one says after a first date with someone, that was awesome. Ha, you're the best. Now, I've got a proposal for you. I want to make you my go-to person whenever I'm stuck for a date. How does that sound? Does that sound romantic? (laughs) Would that win your affection? Oh, can't wait. What sort of depth of relationship can you really get in casual relationships of convenience like that? Very little. The benefits are minor compared to what is available when a relationship is permanent and exclusive and committed with someone who loves you. And so this is the kind of relationship God wants with his people. This is the kind of relationship that God wants with you. Can you imagine? This is why God has shown up a second time at Mount Sinai. He wants a serious, formal, binding, lasting relationship with Israel. And in the Bible, that sort of relationship or that sort of agreement is actually called a covenant. It's a legally binding agreement with obligations and benefits. And so marriage is a type of covenant. When people get married, they are agreeing to be more than just available when someone's stuck for a date. 
They are binding, people are binding themselves to each other. And so in Exodus 19, um, is really God proposing to Israel for a permanent relationship with them. But the beauty of this covenant, this agreement that God's making with Israel, is that uh, the benefits are mainly on our side. And so God mentions three main benefits from coming that came from being in a permanent relationship with him. He says, Israel will be my treasured possession. And so this, uh, that is that they are precious to God, not something that God will discard. See, they don't have to worry about God tiring with them because they have treasured possession status stamped all over them. That's what you have on you, friends. They'll also be a kingdom of priests. And this might not sound like a benefit, but it is. It speaks of God giving Israel a role and a purpose in life. Israel are not just sort of like treasured ornaments that gather dust or are purposeless. God is making them his advocates and, and his mediators to the nations on his behalf. And this is a really, this is a highly honourable role that you have, that they have. And Israel are a holy nation. And sometimes we get confused by this word holy, don't we? Because we often confuse it with, with being, with moralism. But it means, what holy means is that Israel are being set apart from the other nations around them, not physically, but by their nature and by their character. They are to be different in terms of their values, their ethics, their love. They are actually there to reflect what God is like to the world. And when they do this, when they take on this nature, this character, these ethics, this justice of God, guess what happens? They flourish. And so Israel agreed to being in a permanent relationship with God there at that mountain, at Mount Sinai. And the rest of Exodus 19 is about the ceremony that marks this, uh, this covenant agreement between God and his people. And then the rest of the Old Testament is about their relationship, isn't it? And more particularly, it's about God keeping his side of the covenant and Israel failing continuously to live up to theirs. And we can see God keeping his side of the covenant, this, this, this love relationship, this committed relationship, uh, time and time again. He, he leads them to a land. He fights for them when they're attacked by different tribes. He protects them. He provides water for them in the desert and food. He guides them by a pillar of fire and by a cloud at night, by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud in the day. He also teaches them his values and his ethics and gives them boundaries and limits in their life. Why? Because he's mean? No, so that they can flourish. But you might say, oh, but there must have been a cost to getting those benefits. What's the cost? Where's the fine print? Didn't God say, if you fully obey me and keep my covenant, then all, out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession, etc.? But God isn't bribing Israel here, saying that he will, he will only keep his end of the bargain 
if they obey him. God keeps his covenant because he made it with them. He made this agreement. And so the laws and the boundaries that God then goes on to give Israel are actually there as a part of his blessing to them. They're not just sort of arbitrary laws that God's made up and given to people. They're actually completely connected to how people flourish in life. It's like when parents put boundaries on their children and they tell them, you can do this, but you can't do that. They make these rules because, why? Because they're mean-spirited? <laughs> oh, you know that. Of course not. They do it because they want their child to prosper, to be healthy, to be safe. And so as a kid, you don't get that. You don't understand that. Even as a teenager, you might not really grasp it. Even as a young, young adult, it still not, might not be sort of understandable why they've done that to you. It only becomes understandable when you have kids of your own and it hits home. Wow, my parents made those rules because they really loved me. They really loved me. And God loves us as well. And so Israel's failure to keep their side of the agreement is, of course, no surprise to God. This is why God has come down now a second time in Exodus. But this Exodus coming down is actually only a prelude to God coming down again in Jesus at the first Christmas. And so it's actually Jesus who makes it possible for people to be in a permanent relationship with God. It makes it possible for people to be able to trust God and to receive every blessing and every promise that God has for his people. Last week we heard that God came down in Jesus to save and rescue people from sin and shame. God even told Joseph, Mary's fiancé, to give the baby that was to be born to Mary the name Jesus, and we heard that that was because the name Jesus had the meaning of God saves or God rescues. But that's not all that was said to Mary and Joseph. But like Israel, we often actually stop reading at that point, don't we? We go, oh, okay, that's enough. Yep, that's good enough for me. <laughs> because we're satisfied with just having Jesus as as our rescuer and saviour, which is no small thing. But there's more. There's more that God wants to give you. Because this is actually not the end of the story of what God did through Jesus. And so if we actually go on and read two verses later, we'll read in Matthew, we'll read that the, it says that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. And that, that name, Emmanuel, has another significant meaning. It means God with us. God with us. And so these verses are also significant because they tell us that God didn't just come down in Jesus to be a rescuer and then duck back to heaven. He came down to bind himself to us and what he wants is for us to bind ourselves to him. God doesn't do casual. God does covenant. He's committed to you and to me more than we will ever know this side of eternity. 
He's not come down just to set you free like a superhero does. He wants also to be united with you in a permanent relationship in which all the benefits are yours. And so Christmas then is not just about the birth of a saviour, as good as that is, that is really good news. To accept Jesus only on those terms, though, will mean we miss out on all the other benefits that are available to you by being in a permanent relationship with him. And what are those benefits, you might ask? I can hear you asking in your mind. Well, the Apostle Peter mentions them in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, when he says this. And these, hopefully, will remind you of something. You see, he says, but you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who, is, who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so it's no coincidence that Peter uses the same terminology that Moses used to talk about the benefits that people get from being in a permanent relationship with God. But what's the difference? You know, there's quite a few thousand years between God telling Moses those things and then Peter writing these things in the New Testament. What's the difference? What's going to make a difference in our lives now that those things actually become a reality for us, an experienced, tangible part of our life, something that the Israelites wanted but could never get? What's the difference? In the New Testament, we're told that those benefits can be really ours. You see, because God has actually done something to make us able to live now in that relationship with him. And he's done something so that you can accept all those benefits in your life. And so this is where Christmas comes into our sights, friends. The significance of Christmas is is that in Jesus, all God's benefits can now really be ours. They can really be yours. Because when we're in Christ, we're given his spirit who enables us to live in this relationship with God as he's always wanted us to be in relationship with him. I hope you grasped that this morning. Paul grasped it. I read this verse this week. I was telling Chris, I finally understood what this verse means this week when Paul says uh, what God has done in Christ to make this possible And this is why he writes in Corinthians to the believers, he says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We're shouting out, well, that's it. Well, that's it. I get it. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anoints us. He sets his seal of ownership on us and puts his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And so this is what God coming down in Jesus Christ at Christmas really means, friends. It's, it's the wonderful act of God because now we don't just have to wish for a permanent relationship with God or we don't have to just wish we could do better in our relationship with God, 
Jesus actually makes it possible. Because of Jesus, all the promises that God made to Israel about who they were to him are now ours. We're a chosen people. We're a royal priesthood. We're a holy nation. We're God's special possessions. These promises are all yes in Jesus. Because of Jesus, the promises that God made to Israel are now yours and mine by agreeing to be in relationship with God through Jesus. It is as Paul says, Jesus has anointed us. Jesus has set God's seal on us, marking us. He marks us as what? As junk? (laughs) No. He marks us as God's treasure that can never be discarded and he puts his spirit in us That's as a guarantee showing us that everything he's promised is going to be fulfilled. He's going to deliver and he provides us with the power we need to be in relationship with God and be all that he wants us to be. And so this is that's why God coming down in Christmas, in Jesus at Christmas, is so much more, so much more than just receiving uh, a saviour who will liberate us. It's about God binding himself to us and making us his own. What did you sign up for when you first came to Jesus? Did you just want a saviour, someone to call upon in times of trouble and give you a pass into heaven when you die? God wants that for you, for sure. But he wants to give you much more. God wants you to receive all of his promises and for, all, for you to have all of the benefits of being in a permanent, stable, long-term relationship with him. In the book of Malachi, God told the Israelites that they were not committed to being in a covenantal relationship with him. They were holding back from total commitment because they didn't really trust God to deliver on his promises. They were obviously, they obviously wanted more from God and God was obviously wanting to give them more. And in their situation at that time, they're, uh, they're turn, they turned to other things instead of God. But God pleads with them to return to him and bind themselves to him and he says to them, test me. Test me and I will throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room for you to store it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe and then all the nations will call you blessed. At that time, the context of this passage was that that Israel were showing their lack of commitment to God by not giving their appropriate tithes and offerings. And this was a sign they weren't trusting God and were unwilling to commit themselves to being in a deeper relationship with him. How are you showing that today in your life? Are you reluctant to commit? Are you fearful of committing? 
Why are you holding back? God's promises are still available in Christ for you today, all of them, every one of them. Are you scared that it might be too costly? Are you scared that you might not or are you scared that you might have to give something up? God says to you today, put me to the test. And I'll prove to you that all the benefits that I want to give to you far outweigh any cost to you. In fact, the cost you you you'll see at the moment those costs will seem trivial because I will open the flood gates of blessing on my people. This is the kind of God we worship, friends. He's not tight-fisted. He's not a miserly God. He's not some figure in the sky just with arbitrary laws and rules that he dishes out for fun or to make life difficult for us. He's a God who longs to have you as his treasured possession, someone whom who gives importance to you and who, who he wants to transform you into his likeness so that you can flourish and so that you can glorify and honour him in the world. If you want to take the step of deepening your relationship with God this morning, today, then I want to encourage you to pray a simple prayer with me this morning in your hearts. Let's pray. Let's close our eyes. Or however you pray. God of all creation, I'm amazed that you want to be in relationship with me. I see that you came down in Jesus to make our relationship possible. I want you to be more than my saviour. I want you to be the Lord of my life. I accept Jesus and all that he's done to make that possible. Fill me with your Holy Spirit so that I can follow you as you want. Amen. If you've prayed, prayed that prayer today, I want to encourage you to tell someone, someone who might be in this room, you can tell me if you've got no one else to tell, but don't leave here without telling someone, I prayed that prayer. I want that to be the reality in my life. But friends, it's a community of people who are in a permanent, binding, growing and dynamic relationship with God together who actually reveal to the world God and who draw who, who, this community of people who are in that sort of relationship, they draw people to God. And so we've talked a lot about moving from merely believing in Jesus to, follow, to actually following him in our lives this year and being disciples of Jesus and not just believers. And so this, as we've heard today, has, is not actually just a new thought, is it? This is something that God's been drawing his people to for millennia. But being a disciple of Jesus is based on having the right kind of relationship with God. You see, you can't be a disciple of Jesus if you just have a casual agreement 
a non-committed relationship with Jesus. We can't be a disciple-making community if we're not willing to be committed, uh, committed in committed relationship together with God. And so God wants us, he wants to take us there together. And so the question that we need to reflect on, I believe, is will we allow God to do that with us? Will we go with him in this and see where he's leading us? As the band comes back, I want to say that the good news is that it's never too late to seek that kind of relationship with God. It's never too late to be refreshed by God and it's never too late to return to God as we return to a first love. Maybe you've grown dry in your relationship with God. God's holding out his arms to you, inviting you back. He wants to reinforce those benefits, those, those, how he sees you this morning. Won't you respond to him? As we move towards Christmas, won't you hear God's call to you this Christmas? He's like your lover who's wanting to woo you again. Won't you look again and wonder at what God has done in Jesus? It's amazing. And all the promises that God may has made are yes today in Christ. And He's here wanting to fulfill them in your life waiting for you, longing for you. I hope you realise that today. And my question that I want to ask you is, won't you respond to him afresh today? And as we sing our final song, which is called New Wine, I want to ask you to make this song a meditation. Because God actually wants to do a new thing in your life. He wants to pour new wine into you today, friend. And his wine that he's talking about is his spirit. Because he wants to renew our relationship. He wants us to re-covenant with him. So the question is, how will you respond? Will you open up your hearts and allow him to flood you with his love as he wants to do? Thanks, Perry.